Hello, and welcome to Frock Flicks, the historical costume movie and TV podcast. I'm your host, Kendra Van Cleve, and I'm here with one half of our original Broadway recording cast, Sarah Lorraine. And we are here costume recapping Outlander, episode five. So last week, Sarah was out in the boonies, and Brenna filled in for her, our uh, go-to Scottish historian. But yay, now we have Sarah back. So there can be Sarah-related shenanigans. <laughs> Always shenanigans with me, you know. Exactly. She's small, but she's fun size. Okay. So let's do this. The episode starts with uh, Jamie coming back from prison um, and Claire's been waiting up all night and she has a new dressing gown. Love the dressing gown. Thought it was super pretty. Yeah. I agree. And while I really loved the, the previous one she's been wearing, I thought the color scheme of this one was even more 18th century. The other one was red and gold, which to me just seems more renaissance -y. It looked, um, it looked like it was vintage fabric. So I'd be curious if, uh, if Terry Dressblock actually posts anything about this. Hopefully we can prompt her to give us a little bit more information about, the, uh, about this particular dressing gown. It's kind of a teal blue color. Looks like silk satin with a, or a damask or brocade um, with a, a white floral pattern or a cream colored floral pattern. Um, it's shown up on some promo um, images. Uh, the, there's this one image where uh, Claire is hugging Jamie on a chaise lounge and you can see most of this from kind of behind. So I think it has a Watu pleated back or the Francaise pleated back. Um, I think that's uh, if I'm remembering correctly. But yeah, I was waiting for this one to show up. I was really excited about seeing what this one looked like. And so didn't get a lot of view, a lot of like, uh, didn't get a good look at it necessarily in this particular, uh, the scenes that it was featured in, it was pretty dark. But again, there's probably other images that are gonna start cropping up of the photos online of the, um, of the dress. So we can look forward to that. Yeah, definitely. After that scene, uh, Jamie goes to work and he first has a chat with Murtaugh. Um, and I don't know if there's anything terribly exciting to talk about what with what they're wearing. The one thing I notice is that Jamie is wearing a kilt. Um, and we've seen some interviews um, where they've talked about that they felt it was important that Jamie occasionally get to do some kilt wearing because that's obviously what he would be most comfortable wearing. And it's sort of a, a reminder that, you know, Jamie's not team frou-frou. He's uh, not from around here. Also, pretty much the kilt is a big deal. A lot of people really like guys in kilts. Um, but as I've mentioned in another podcast, I'm personally over the kilt, having spent like a large portion of my teenage and early adulthood being obsessed with men in kilts and getting burned really badly by them. So I'm really okay when Jamie doesn't wear the kilt. I prefer that a little bit more, but I understand it's a novelty. People get excited by it. Yeah. Okay. And then to me, more interesting, Claire goes to visit Mary Hawkins to sort of do a medical checkup and also just to see how she's doing. Um, and Claire wears a really pretty, what looks to me like a wool riding habit. It's a real sort of dark mulberry color. Isn't it the same one that she wore before? I thought it was the same one that was in the, uh, the you know, she the first episode or when she was in, the one that's basically she's been wearing a few times. I kind of thought that was it. You could totally be right. And I've completely yeah. forgotten it. To my eye, this is a new one. It reminded me of the one that she was wearing when she went, first went to the hospital to start working in the hospital and everybody was like, oh, look, it's so very 1940s-ish and not the, not the silver jacket, but it was a that, that mulberry colored purple-y thing. 
think you could totally be right. I think it's the key thing that I noticed about it was I thought that the hat was super 18th century and yet super new look. And I thought, I don't know why, um, that it worked, that particularly worked for me. And I loved that it had little, um, some sort of feathers around the, the brim of the hat. And then she had a matching sort of spray um, of feathers pinned to her chest as like a brochy kind of decor. Yeah. Um, and I also like in this particular one, if this is the same out, the same gown that she wears um, previously in previous episodes, she's wearing it with a black neck stock, a black cravat, um, looks lacy, kind of pretty, rather than it was a blue cravat that she had on with it before, which I know we spend a lot of time discussing like the, the sewn on ruffles on. So this was kind of an improvement in the neckwear department. But yeah, love the hat. What's her face? <laughs> Mary Hawkins. Boring, but understandable um she's recovering from an attack uh she's got a a kind of very cute but also very prim and proper um cap on a knitted or sorry it's actually crocheted um don't kill me people who crochet uh a crochet um kind of shawl that's tied around her neck and just a chemise on um but she's very cute and innocent and sweet as usual Yes, and I'm sure the historical knitters are going to have something to say, uh, no doubt, about whether, to what degree this, uh, or sorry, not knitters, the, yes. the fiber people are going to have something to say about to what degree this uh, style is historically accurate, the style of crochet. It, it's certainly pretty, um, and I know nothing about historical knitting, so, right. or sorry, historical fiber arts that are, don't involve fabric. Exactly. And I think, yeah, we're going to get a lot of like hate mail from crocheters who are like, wait, it's crochet, not knitting. Yes, we actually technically know the difference. We're just um, not really big into the fiber art scene other than once the material, the fabric has been made, then we get excited about it. Um, but I also wanted to point out actually that the, the bedspread on Mary Hawkins bed is fabulous and I want it really bad. I think it's a, looks like a voided velvet or a, um, yeah, actually, a, a a woven damask or a woven brocade velvet, um, black on black. It's gorgeous. So, hey, you know, if you're listening out there, fabric designers, bring back the black on black brocade because that would totally sell. Just saying. <laughs> okay. Shopping in uh, in Outlander. Okay, <laughs> and then back at the wine shop, Bonnie Prince Charlie turns up with his whole elaborate scheme to. Oh God, I thought this was, uh, it's direct from the books, but I still found it confusing. So he has gotten a loan that he is going to then give to the Comte Saint-Germain, which the Comte Saint-Germain is going to use to buy wine. And then Jamie's going to sell the wine and they're going to make profit. And that profit will then fund the rebellion and get the French interested. Um, yeah. That's about it. That's what I Yeah. Understood. Yeah. Obviously, Bonnie Prince Charlie doesn't, you know, care a thing about anybody else or he would realize that Jamie and the Comte Saint-Germain are maybe not the best of friends. Um, but there you go. And uh, I did really like what the uh, what the prince was wearing in this scene. I thought um, it's sort of a tobacco colored coat. Um, and I just really like the, the gold trim. They've used a couple of different gold trims and then some gold buttons. And it just really screams 18th century to me. And yeah, the trims look vintage. The trims look like they're, you know, old appropriately, 
you know, for this period. Um, it could be, it could be that they're the trims that uh, occasionally I find them, I run across them. They're like gold braid for military uniforms. Um, they look a little bit like that, but they're, it's perfect for this era. I mean, that's where these trims originally came from. So, you know, ergo proper use of them. Um, I loved his hair. I think it's the same way we've seen him on, seen him wear a bunch of times already, but we see it from the back pretty clearly this time. And it just, it's a nice wig and it's got a nice little uh, black satin bow. Um, no bag, but you know, I don't know. Was that done? Yeah, yeah, definitely. All sorts of different things were done to the queue. The thing that I uh, like about it is that the, the sort of unstructured curls at the side are very 1730s, early 1740s. Um, and I just think it's an interesting variation. It's totally correct to still be wearing a dated wig style. Um, you could be wearing one that's th theoretically 50 years out of date, um, and that would still be completely done. Um, so I just thought it was a nice variation, and they've very much been sticking with that style on Bonnie Prince Charlie. Back to the trim, one thing I thought was particularly nice was how they applied it in back to the skirtings of the jacket. Um, there's a lot of pleats back there and they've highlighted them all with more of the gold trim and um, in addition to the, obviously the front of the jacket and the pockets and all of that. And it just makes it really extra shiny and fabulous. And, it, and, and of course, in contrast, it's a really good contrasting scene with Janie and his kilt and his wool, uh, you know, jerkin and, Here's Bronnie Prince Charlie and his fabulous. I think it's it's got to be a wool. I think it's a sh like a wool sateen. Um, it's kind of what it's reading to me on the screen anyway. Uh, suit with all this fabulous gold braid all over it. Um, the pockets too. They really went, they went all out with this this outfit. And it's kind of a throwaway outfit in a lot of ways, just in the sense that it, it doesn't seem to be featured in any sort of real way as a flashy outfit. Like they kind of feature other costumes. Uh, but there's a lot of really interesting things happening here that are actually very historically accurate. And so obviously, you know, people, the people designing uh, and creating these costumes were doing a fair amount of research and, and applying the trims in correct ways. Absolutely. Okay, so then in the next scene, Claire hangs out with Alexander Randall. She's decided, so she's all worried because uh, according to her husband from the 1940s, Frank's genealogy, uh, one of his ancestors are supposed to be Mary and Jack Randall. And so Claire is all worried that if Mary and Alexander Randall hook up, somehow that means Frank won't exist. Um, and I've seen some funny commentary about this online other places, and I did just sort of want to rant about it. It's totally, again, straight out of the book, and that's fine. But I love that Claire doesn't think that stopping the rising of 1745 uh, could possibly affect, you know, herself, let alone anyone else she knows. But this one little marriage, you know, definitely would just blow everything up. It's like if if thousands of people didn't die and move, because all, all so many of the Scots then moved to Ireland, that's where you get the whole Scots-Irish thing, and then moved to the American colonies, that's where you get the whole, you know, Chesapeake, middle south thing anyway yeah all of that would have could have massive implications for all sorts of people but this one little relationship she's <laughs> all stressed about 
I, yeah, I think it's, I think it was hysterical too, especially how Alex basically just capitulates, just flat out folds and under like one little statement, like you wouldn't want to put her through, uh, you know, you being sick and not having a job. And he's like, yeah, you're totally right, man, this is really going to bum her out. And then he's, she's like, yeah, but she'll get over it. And he's like, okay, <laughs> what? <laughs> I don't know. I just, it, I, I, I'm sure, I mean, I get that it, it, we couldn't really dwell on their relationship in the context of the larger story that we're actually following, but it just seems so preposterous and absurd for this guy who's supposedly madly in love with this girl to just be like, you know what? You're right. Okay. I'll back off. <laughs> You know what Claire should do if she actually wants to stop their marriage is just go to Mary and say, you know, he's going to want to do that whole sex thing with you at some point. <laughs> and Mary now has a very good reason for not wanting to do that one again. Oh, um, God. So, yeah. yeah. Looking at what they're wearing, Claire is in a blue, for sure a blue skirt, and then she's wearing a capelet, and it's hard to tell what exactly is on under the capelet, but um, the capelet has a hood and a big bow in front, and then she's got some sort of mulberry colored uh, mitts on. I think it's actually a full cloak. That's my guess, is it's really a full cloak with like a, a capelet addition, and she's the mulberry sleeves that are part of that purple dress that she was wearing in the scene before. That- Ah, you could totally be right. Oh, oh yeah. no, no, wait, oh, no. The mulberry dress, the mulberry suit has a actually has a jewel neckline. It doesn't come all the way up to the neck. She wears the neck stock over it. So it, yeah, it's possible it could be the same dress. Yeah. Yeah, you're very right. Definitely. Um, yeah. I thought it thought it was really pretty. Um, tone on you know tone on tone in terms of the lining and all of that. The fabric it looks like a really nice wool. Um, and again, I thought it was a nice way of adding some sort of femininity, as always, to Claire's outfit, but without going super frilly, which obviously they're avoiding. Mm -hmm. Well, I think, too, also, we haven't really mentioned this, but she always seems to have, like, a matching handbag, if you noticed. I've, I've noticed this a few times throughout the, throughout the show, that uh, in many of her outfits, she'll have a matching handbag, which is incredibly 1940s. <laughs> so I'm sure there was some sort of you know, a concession to that as another kind of giveaway that she's not from this particular period. Um, and in this case, her handbag is, I think it's, if it's not the same fabric as her cloak, it's, it's darn near close to it. It's close, but it's not quite because it actually, I noticed it weirdly and then forced myself to just go, it doesn't matter. It shouldn't <laughs> actually match. So that's fine. But to me, the fact that it almost matches, but doesn't made me twitchy. <laughs> I almost wonder if it matches the lining of the hood, but yeah. I don't know. That that may be overthinking things. But yeah, this is an era where, I mean, sure, you would have tons of accessories and tons of gowns, um, but things were all supposed to be interchangeable. You didn't have a bag and a hat for every outfit. Right. Um, so do you want to talk a little bit about Alex's outfit? I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, it's a it's like a speckled wool Um and, and I'm not sure if that's necessarily something that would have been used in the 18th century, but it definitely is an interesting visual interest. It gives a visual interest to the, the costume that you normally wouldn't see um, just in, you know, straight up black wool suit. Uh, I like that. I also liked how the actor they have playing Alex looks actually a lot like the actor that plays Jack Randall. <laughs> you can believe that they're actually brothers. I thought that was a nice touch. Definitely. And I was happy to finally, not that we haven't before, but to see a guy in a tricorn because in this era, that's so the, 
the hat that they all would have been wearing. Although I don't know what they called it in France. Um, in England, it was actually called a cocked hat because the turnips were sort of cocking your hat, which you can imagine. Right. Okay. And then we get to our favorite location, Maison Elise, the whorehouse. Um, <laughs> and there's various ladies flouncing around, um, in particular, what seems to be sort of the madam or, or hostess. I think she's wearing, if she's not wearing the same outfit she was before, it's very similar and it might be the same stomacher. Um, I thought it was the same overgown, but a different stomacher, but I could be wrong. Could be that too. It just seems very similar, but I think it's very pretty and the sort of silvery embroidery on the stomacher is really nice. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and uh, and I definitely think that you get some good shots of some of the other outfits in the, uh, in the brothel. Um, we have that up on our website. We have a few of the kind of overview shots of people in the background with some very nice jacket, uh, two ladies wearing, wearing these jackets that are, you know, a lot like, um, Claire's, uh, purple jacket or silver and also silver jacket ensemble, the, uh, the so-called new look dress, uh, very similar in style to that, but done in of course, period appropriate fabric. So they look differently. They read differently. Um, but I was really, yeah, I really like that. I, I would love to see actual shots of like the background outfits um, in these scenes because we only catch glimpses of them and a lot of them are really interesting. So maybe if we put that out there, Terry Dresbach will provide, I don't know. <laughs> maybe, although we were talking, I just had a, a sort of a quick shot of some random extras from the last episode and said, oh, this one is particularly clunky boning and back. And she actually um, left a really interesting comment that people should go and read. Um, this would be on the recap of episode four, talking about how they got a lot of the extras costumes done. They actually farmed them out to mm. wedding type seamstresses. So what they did is they had to make patterns um, that were sort of understandable to someone who's used to working with a commercial pattern and someone who's used to working with wedding dresses. And so they farmed all, a lot of that out. Um, and then of course there's the endless juggling of, of who's in front of the camera who's nearby, you know, when they're doing the still photos, when they're shooting all of that and making sure the sort of better dressed extras are closer. And so there may be some outfits they wouldn't want us to see. That's po it's possible. It's possible. But I, you know, I'm thinking that's actually pretty resourceful. Um, I haven't had a chance to catch up on the comments from, from last week's episode, but yeah, definitely I'll go back and read some of that stuff. Um, you know, Terry always gives us some very interesting insights uh, whenever we post these things. So it's, it's actually a really cool thing to be able to hear her you know, tell us all about the, you know, kind of the dirty laundry aspect of the, what goes on in the, in the costume shop with creating these costumes. Um, so I did the one other thing that she mentioned in the comments was she was saying, I would love to take some, some of the leading bloggers and I don't know if we count or not, but uh, I don't I'd know. Love to take them on a tour of the costume shop and maybe even put them to work during one of our busiest times. And I was all count me in. I need to go back and clarify. I'm quite serious. I am, I am honest to God serious. Sign me up. Terry Dresbach, if you're listening, sign me up. I will come and sew for you because that is, that would be, I, I'm sure an incredibly stressful and incredibly eye-opening experience, but it would be a once in a lifetime experience for somebody who's essentially a hobbyist to be able to be participating in. So, so yeah, sign me up. Me too, except I know I'd then put my eye out with an industrial sewing machine. No, you don't, don't, don't let the sewing machine scare you. They're like horses. If they sense your fear, they'll fuck you up. But you know, you have to, you have to tell it you're the boss. Oh. <laughs> That's what I learned in design school. That's all I can tell you. 
Excellent. All right. One other thing I just wanted to mention before we um, move on to Jamie and the comp, um, just one sort of trend I've noticed um, is with a lot of characters where they're using a fancier fabric for the the jacket or dress and then a coordinating um, fabric for the skirt. And I'm just noticing it looking at one of these extras. She's got a green, what looks like a damask woven pattern jacket. And then the, the skirt is a solid. Um, and, you know, to me, seems like a, a good use of what I'm sure is a limited budget and limited resources. I think you in the period you would see more, well, at the upperest classes, you would see more where the whole ensemble is made of the same fabric. But I'm sure as you get further down the social scale, that might change. And again, seems like, you know, efficiency because it's the upper part that's going to be more on screen. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Um, I don't know. Yeah, it's it's kind of a concession I know we make as as you know historical costumers, where you know you only have you can only get like a two yard piece of this fabulous fabric. So what do you do for the you know you can make a jacket out of it, but what do you do with the bottom part? So you have to try to find a, a matching fabric for it. So maybe they did that back then. Um, I'm I'm yeah. And then we've got the Compton Jamie uh, squaring off, of course. I thought that the comps outfit was interesting mostly because the um, embroidery pattern looks very similar to the sort of bluey gray outfit he was wearing a couple episodes back. It's a similar sort of leafy embroidery pattern. And I kind of wonder, is that is that his thing? The color, though, seems more sort of like a brownie purple um, for the actual fabric. I honestly thought it was the same fabric that he was wearing, I think, in the uh, the episode, second or third episode, I can't remember. Um, I thought, I think we've seen this one before, but don't quote me on it. Um, but definitely that embroidery pattern has featured before on one of his costumes. Um, for whatever reason, this particular time, the Comte was not doing it for me. I'm not sure why. Um, <laughs> maybe because he's a dick? Yeah, maybe. I don't know. It just... Maybe it's just not because he's standing up. You need like the full effect where he's staring down at you contemptuously. Instead, he's like, you know, kind of staring head on contemptuously. And I don't know, it's just not working for me. Um, but uh, but yeah, seriously handsome guy in a seriously fabulous suit. So I guess I can't complain too much. Um, I did want to talk a little bit about Jamie's outfit. And he's worn this this satin coat numerous times. In this particular scene, he's wearing it with, wearing it with a blue I think satin waist, waistcoat. Um, but I started to think of this as his leather jacket. Like, I don't know if anybody else is starting to think about it that way. <laughs> that is actually brilliant. Yeah, it actually, to me, I'm like, this is, his, this is his leather jacket. This is his going out to fuck shit up jacket. So yeah, or just to be a badass. He grabs it uh, along with like a bottle of moonshine and a baseball bat on his way out the door. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. As he rides off on his motorcycle. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Also, okay. Well, also one more thought about Jamie when he has his hair pulled back. I, I, I'm torn between it being just like hor hopelessly dorky and actually cute, which is his hair just, you know, he always has this one weird little stray curl behind his like left ear. <laughs> I, I like it better. I like his hair pulled back better than the times where it's limp and sad. Um, yeah, it's. I mean, I like it. I like it down when it's looking good, but there have been some times it's looked really dorky. So compared to that, I'll I'll take it tied back. Gotcha. So then, um, back at the the uh, their house, uh, Jamie updates Claire as to all of these goings on. 
Um, and here we can barely see, but finally see that Jamie is wearing um, these leather boots um, that Terry Dresbach did a long uh, blog post about um, these boots. And apparently she found some historical sources that are actually really sexy of these button up sort of over the knee boots in satin. And apparently Jamie has a satin pair and a leather pair. And the leather pair have all these buckles and they, they're <laughs> super motorcycle boots. Now um, I'm thinking, now I'm thinking I need to get Francis to make himself a pair. <laughs> yeah. But actually, I just really want to see the satin ones because at least looking at the uh, the inspiration images, they are sexy. Um, I'm gonna have to look that up later on in my bunk. <laughs> yes, yes. Ask ask your uh, your fiance Francis if he'll role play. Um, yeah, <laughs> you know he's got the wigs for it, right? <laughs> yeah. Made... And then Claire has yet another new. Uh, dressing gown this one a little harder to get a look at but it looks like it's a black with um, some sort of woven floral sprig pattern and yeah gold lining or embellishments anyway the turnbacks on the sleeves look kind of gold or bronze yeah yeah i just wonder where she's been hiding all of these dressing gowns since she was wearing the one for like four episodes i mean i'm not complaining i'm glad she's mixing it up but maybe she just got a new shipment from the dressmaker right maybe maybe the other one the yellow one has been I don't know, she threw up on it or something. <laughs> I was going to go somewhere else. Because yeah. the last time we saw it was when she and Jamie were shagging. Oh, really? See, that's the thing. I haven't caught up on the previous episode. I've only done the flashbacks. So I don't know if there, yeah, there's currently been shagging while I was off in SCA land. Damn it. Yes. Yes, there was. They made up and they shagged. Yes, okay. finally. Yes. Okay. <laughs> So then um, we're off to Versailles and uh, whoo, total dark garden porn and fabulous job from the uh, special effects crew of getting Versailles in the background of wherever they shot this. Um, and so Jamie's there to help the Duke of Sandringham buy a horse, essentially because he's trying to keep his, his enemy close. Um, and you can see a good shot of Jamie's motorcycle boots with all of the, the straps and buckles in them. He's wearing a kilt, but he's got this fabulous jacket, which I'm honestly is probably my favorite thing that he's worn to date. It's this tan sort of maybe sand colored, possibly silk satin. Uh, don't quote me on it, but with all of this trapunto uh, work up and down the front and along the sides, it's just fabulous. And and it's that trapunto goes along the back vent and on the pockets. I think it's more of a wool. It doesn't look yeah, possible. Silk to me. Right, right. It's just gorgeous. And I, I'm literally drooling at it and thinking of all the ways that I would try to recreate that. <laughs> it's really pretty. Um, and when you see the ensemble from the front, the the that sort of sand color jacket looks really pretty with the really pale um blue waistcoat um which then ties into the kilt which has some blue in it and that sort of pops out and again obviously he's wearing a kilt he's also wearing a sporran which is the the uh pouch pouch right that's attached to the belt and he obviously has his sword on too so he's looking very manly in this outfit yep. and uh, i thought his hair looked particularly sexy in this scene he had good hair here and again, yeah. uh, you know, Claire's outfit, uh, if we could just jump to Claire, um, she's also, again, got that pancake hat, um, you know, that's very 1940s, but very 1740s. So very fabulous. Um, still 
not loving the fabric choice here. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, so the fabric, this is one of the, the, the ones that really made us all, you know, sit up and go, when we saw this in preview stills and the costume designer, Terry Dresbox kept saying, wait until you see it in context, it's going to make sense. And I guess now that the, the context first off is, you know, the fact she's wearing it in a garden. So the floral, um, but obviously the whole new look infused thing. The more I look at it, the more I actually adore the fabric, but for the 1950s and my big quibble with it. Okay, Claire would love this fabric. It would totally speak to her, blah, blah, blah. She's fashion for it. Where the hell would she get it? Mm. It'd be one thing if it were painted, because if it were painted, maybe she somehow got some Japanese and Chinese prints, showed them to the dressmaker, said paint this, blah, 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 but it's not. It's a woven pattern. Is it? Um, I didn't realize it, it was woven. She bought it at Brightex, actually, and they did a <laughs> Yeah. And they, which is a super, super high-end fabric store in San Francisco, and they did a blog post about it. They're apparently actually getting more in. They thought nobody would ever buy it, um, but then <laughs> Terry bought it for the show and made this dress, and so now they're buying more. So if you want your reproduction, you can. Yeah, there you so, go. You only pay like $300 a yard for it. Exactly. So <laughs> I think it's gorgeous. I love the, the yellow leather gloves. I thought the hat was really pretty. I mean, it definitely reads... I would say it's actually the most modern 20th century styled design possible uh, or so far that we've seen. But the big question to me is just where the hell Claire would have gotten that fabric because nobody in the 18th century had that aesthetic, that fab, unless she brought that fabric back with her through the standing stones, there's just no way. Right. Yeah, exactly. Uh, another thought that I had about it is that, you know, usually I've, I've seen this crop up numerous times on, on blog posts that we've done about construction, bodice construction. And I want to point out before anybody, you know, tries to, to tear Terry a new one over the weird horizontal pleat in the front of the bodice, that's actually period. Do not, you know, don't, don't get the pitchforks out. Uh, some people just don't understand the weird ass construction that they did in the 18th century, but there you go. Yeah, that is how they would fit a high-necked gown was with a horizontal um, dart uh, over the bust. That's how you made it work. Yeah. Um, and the one other thing that's really weird um, to me, well, potentially weird about this outfit is it has side lacing. There's a side seam that's laced and there's a bit of a gap there. Now, if that's there because it's uh, because Claire is pregnant and it is an adjustability thing, then I'm completely down with it because they did do that. Um, more of the examples I've seen had the lacing in front, um, but they did use lacing to make things adjustable during pregnancy in the 18th century. If it's, and so uh, there's no, you know, obviously the costume team can just claim that's why it was there and there you go, get away with it. If it's not there because of the pregnancy, then it's what the fuck. Yeah, I, I'm going to just say let's give them the benefit of the doubt on that one. Um, because also I was I was actually really impressed with how <laughs> how little her pregnancy shows. Uh, I'm assuming uh, just based on analyzing the fit of her gowns that they actually are fitting her over her prosthetic belly um, in all of the uh, in all of these gowns that she's wearing. And because otherwise, you know, it wouldn't make sense. Why would she? dress i mean why would she be pregnant and then it not be you know depicted on screen in every instance that she's on screen um and one thing uh the costume designer has mentioned is that people the the sort of 
I don't know whoever, but the people making the show said, we really want to see that Claire is pregnant and that that was actually really difficult for her because with stays and with the dresses, it didn't really show. So that's why they've done a lot of the dressing gown scenes and stuff to show that Claire's pregnancy because it doesn't show um, when she's fully dressed. I mean, she does look a little larger around the waist, just a bit. And you kind of get the idea that it would actually be fairly easy for a woman to hide a pregnancy, you know, up until she was really obviously showing, I guess, what, Claire's like three, four months along at this point. I think possibly a little further. Uh, so, okay, so beyond that quibble, um, I have come to really like the, to really actually aesthetically love this outfit. I think it's absolutely beautiful. And again, the, I think it's those the yellow gloves and the yellow petticoat that really tie it all together for me. Um, I think that the the outfit is really well made. I spent most of the scene uh, admiring the standing collar um, and the sweet little buttons down the front and just the fit is great. It's a beautiful outfit um, beyond aesthetically, including the fabric, it's gorgeous. I'm gonna be the East German judge here and I'm gonna have to point out that there are a couple of things that I have, uh, you know, kind of a little bit of questioning about. It looks like the pleats are actually stitched down on the skirt. I mean, was that done? I'm not sure if that was actually a historically accurate way of... Um, I, no. Yeah. No, so, they would not have done. And, and also, I just, I'm not loving the fabric. I just can't. I mean, okay, I, I understand. I can understand and I can appreciate it again. You know, kind of like you say, the color combinations, the, the aesthetics overall. It's just, it's not my thing. I mean, this is going to just come down to personal preference on this one. And, you know, I can be wrong. <laughs> but it's not my thing. Well, you, you can't be wrong about personal preference. I mean, I think it's beautiful when I completely separate myself from the fact that it's supposed to be 18th century. And I'm, you know, I just get told all the time on the blog that I'm wrong. So, <laughs> so that my personal preference is wrong. So, you know, hey, I can be wrong. But uh, you do, you get, you get that in particular more than the rest of us. People get really offended by Sarah having opinions. God, it's, I don't know what it is about that. It's actually kind of funny for me, but uh, yeah, I don't take it personally, thank God, because otherwise I'd probably just be a basket case. But, but yeah, um, now personal, personal preference-wise, not my thing, but, but a beautiful dress, sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, the other key uh, female costume in the scene is Annalise, who was uh, Jamie's big crush when he was a teenager, um, and she's wearing a sort of punch pink colored jacket um, with uh, a purple skirt and the jacket has silver lace around it. And I actually adore this outfit, minus the fact that they used very slubby Dupioni silk, which um, slubby silk, silk that has that rough texture to it, was completely considered subpar would never have been used for basically anything up until maybe the 1940s. So again, not a fabric they would have had access to. But beyond that, I think the the color scheme is beautiful. I think the lace is gorgeous. Um, and I really like how they cut the points of the jacket skirting and how they applied the trim because it's very, very 1740s. This is definitely a Tristan outfit. I looked at this and I went, this is, yeah, Tristan would, would love this outfit. Um, it's her colors, hot pink, purple, um, silver, silver lace. She should be all over this uh, once she actually sees this post. Um, the one thing I, I had a couple of mm, issues with this, uh, and it really, again, it boiled down to my personal opinion and aesthetics. 
um, the colors are really garish and I just didn't like the way that they all kind of, they, they didn't harmonize well for me. Um, but, uh, but again, you know, I get that we're kind of playing Claire's very understated, staid Englishness against Annalise's over the top, you know, Frenchness. Um, I did like the little ruched neck wrap thing that she's wearing. I thought that was a really neat little touch. Um, kind of a, a nod to a scarf when she's outdoors, <laughs> but not really. I actually wouldn't say I, I agree with you that there's supposed to be a dichotomy, but I think the dichotomy is supposed to be Claire's modern, elegant, streamlined look versus the super frou-frou French. Uh, well, I don't I, think it's so much that she's supposed to be staid and serious and English so much as ultra modern, obviously not in a way that 18th century people would have any frame of reference for other than she's different. Well, you, you, you misinterpreted my staid as to mean understated or elegant or, you know, that, that's not saying that she's frumpy or, you know, or unfashionable. That's not what I meant to say. I'm just saying that comparatively she comes across as being more restrained in her costume choices and her clothing choices than the rest of the court around her. And that's, you know, that's pretty much obvious in this scene. Right. Definitely. Um, and so then uh, evil schmucky Blackjack Randall shows up and uh, I had a moment of he's so cute. And then I just wanted to stab him with any object that I could get my hands on because he's such a fucking dick. Oh my <laughs> God. Hi, I brutally raped your husband and I brutally raped you, but hello, isn't it wonderful to see you? And I know that he's a psychopath and he's totally fucked up. But God, he's so horrible. Yes. And, and can I take a moment to rant about the rape? Just a moment. Please. My thing is, so I'm, I give Outlander props, huge props, for dealing with the, the, real, uh, the real issue of male rape. It's never really dealt with. It's a horrible thing that, you know, men who have to go through this have to endure in silence. And so to having it bring out, brought out and dealt with in actually a fairly sensitive way, um, you know, it's really, it's really refreshing. It's really uh, good from, from a, you know, kind of a issue standpoint, getting it out there and talking about it. However, I would really like to point out that Claire has been raped like no less than four times since this series began. And she has just shrugged it off like it is no big deal. And here's Jamie, you know, I'm going to commit suicide. I'm going to go on this murderous rampage. I'm having issues, so I'm going to sleep with half of Paris, whatever. You know, why does Jamie get to enact this, you know, deep-seated drama and trauma about having been raped, whereas Claire is just like, yeah, it's a, it's a typical Tuesday in 18th century Scotland, whatevs. Like, I just, I feel like Claire is not dealing with her issues here. I feel like we're not, we're not allowed uh, a way to hear or to see Claire kind of grapple with the fact that she's been horribly abused as well. Or even the fact that she can say to Jamie, like, I've had it happen to me, I know. You know, like, let's have a commonality. And then when she has that conversation with Mary, it's the same sort of thing in this episode. She has this conversation with Mary about Mary's rape. And she doesn't say, you know, in, in a sister-to-sister kind of experience, I, I understand what you're going through. You know, let's let's talk about it. Well, maybe not talk about it, but you know, at least I understand where you're coming from. I understand what you're experiencing. I just feel like nobody's really allowing Claire to really 
work through her, her, her you know, experiences, her, tra- her trauma. Um, in some ways, I agree with you, although I think to quibble, and I think maybe this is the part of the distinction, is that I don't think Claire has ever actually been um, completely raped. I think she's been sexually assaulted with intent to rape, um, but that they haven't been able to get things through to completion. There was that one time, there was one where uh, it was in the first season and they were having sex on a hillside. It's right before she goes off running towards the... Uh, towards but the he sea. doesn't He doesn't actually... No, they said he did. There was this whole thing like, I can't believe that, you know, Jamie basically says something to the effect of, I can't believe that man was inside you. And she doesn't correct him. So that led me to believe that there had actually been penetrative. But the point is, even regardless of penetrative, it's, you know, she's been assaulted multiple times and yet she's not really dealing with it. She's not, it doesn't seem realistic to me, I guess is what I'm trying to say is that, you know, if, if I had spent uh, a year in a foreign land and I had been assaulted four times, five times, regardless of whether or not it was complete, you know, penetrative rape, I would be a basket case. I think I would be locked up in my room, rocking back and forth in the corner, but maybe I'm not made of sterner stuff like Claire is. No, I think you're right. I do think the, I mean, I, I feel like the, the rapes, especially Jamie's rape to me always felt like too much um, and unnecessary plot devices. Fan service. It, what? Fan service. <laughs> it's a fandom term for when the author or writer uh, basically throws something gratuitous or a little bit over the top in, um, usually in the form of like a, a sexual situation just between two characters to appease the fans. Um, it's called fan servicing. Look it up on, look it up on tvtropes.com. It's, it's, yeah, you'll spend your entire life on there. Okay. Um, I don't know if I necessarily think that that's why it was done. I just, I guess I feel like the author, um, I don't know. I don't know what was going through her head. I mean, certainly she wrote the first book before, you know, she wasn't anywhere in terms of being in any kind of a published writer. And I almost feel like she, I mean, obviously she learned and I feel like got a bit more subtle as, as time progressed. Um, I do think that the other factor going on, and I think it holds true for our modern era versus the eight, as well as the 18th century, is that I think most women have more of a sense of inevitability about sexual assault that men don't. And so I, I totally agree with you, but I do think there's a there's a, a little bit I can ascribe to the fact that Claire is, I mean, the, probably shit like that happened in World War II. Shit like that has happened, you know, in her life. And that's not to say it isn't totally, uh, wouldn't completely fuck you up. But I feel like there is a, a, a sense that this doesn't happen to men. Um, and so therefore it's doubly uh, painful for Jamie to have gone through it. I disagree. I do think it's something that happened to men. But I also agree that it's probably not something as often. Jamie doesn't walk down the street, you know, of Paris worrying that someone's going to rape him. Claire probably does. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. This whole thing just opens up like this huge can of issues for me. And I'm, I'm still trying to work through it. But I felt that I needed to come out and say that I feel like, you know, I mean, granted, I know they're going off of the books um, and I haven't read the books. But there just seems like there's never a point in the in the show where Claire gives pause or acknowledges that you know something truly shitty has happened to her, 
uh, in in this in the form of an assault. I mean, they spend way way more time dealing with Jamie spanking her than they do with her being you know assaulted multiple times. And that mm, it, it bugs me on a fundamental level. I kind of want to see Claire have this breakdown, and be like, I know what you're going through, Jamie. Jesus, you know, let's let's bond. <laughs> I don't know. Yes, no, I, I definitely agree with you. Um, and the other thing that's bugging me uh, in the books, it's much more obvious that Claire is, you know, hugely worried about Jamie and sympathetic to Jamie. And I feel like that's not translating as much on TV. I feel like she's acting, they're kind of making her seem like she's like, what, what's wrong with you? You know, when <laughs> I, I know that part of what it is is she's trying to get him to come out and talk about it because as most women know, talking about things is helpful. Something that it seems a lot of Western men have not figured out. Um, but it's not coming out hugely understanding to me, uh, the way she's going about it, at least as it's portraying on screen. And I wish that they would do a slightly better job of showing that Claire knows that Jamie's been completely traumatized and shouldn't just get over it. Right, right. Well, maybe that's because Claire just gets over it. She's like, well, I got over it. It happens to me every other week, you know, big D. <laughs> But right. yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I find that it, it's it's a lopsided it's a lopsided treatment um, of the of the 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 real horribleness of sexual assault of rape for both men and women. And I, I've always found that a little problematic with with the way it, it's done in the show, or and probably even written about in the book. So I know they're being very faithful to it. So again, I'm not trashing the show. I'm just saying. It's a, it, it could have been, I think, dealt with a little bit more believably. And I think most fans of the books would agree with you that mm -hmm. the, the rape stuff is a little too much and not always handled as well as it could be. And I think definitely the author matures as, you know, more and more books go along. And, you know, there's, I, there's huge discussions of this. So I don't think <laughs> you're off base at all. Let's give this, let's give them props. I mean, of course we give, you know, the author props in giving the show props, but give the show props for dealing with male rape, male sexual assault, because that's just not something you ever see ever like on, you know, in, in a hero, basically um, we have, you know, we have a heroic figure in the form of Jamie who you are led to believe is nearly invincible. Everything, you know, it comes across, he can basically, fuck it up if he wants to he's big he's broad-shouldered he's you know nigh invulnerable and then something really traumatic happens to him and what happens when like this big manly hero guy has to deal with being raped and it happens and i'm kind of like you know go you outlander you totally are bringing this up i hope it brings up more dialogue about it um because yeah i think it is an issue that that really does need to be you know as a feminist as a feminist male rape also needs to be dealt with <laughs> Well, and also uh, rape of men by women, which is another yeah, thing that yeah. people absolutely, some people really think isn't possible. Right. All right. Well, just so. real quick, let's wrap this up. Do we want to talk anything about, um, I almost called him Frank, Jack's uh, <laughs> uniform and then the king showing up. And I thank you, uh, Louis XV, for making uh, Jack Randall feel like an ass. Um, that made me very happy. Uh, all sorts of shiny uniforms. I don't know if we want to say anything about them. 
Uh, they're fabulous. I mean, what can you say about a uniform other than that you love a man in one? Um, <laughs> it, as much as it is in the 18th century as in the 21st century, uh, the yeah, they're just beautiful. So I mean, they look very historically accurate for the era, for the you know the the different ranks um, and whatnot. Yeah. I'm, not a, I'm not a military historian, so. You probably, you know, if we get messages from people saying like they got the number of button braid bits wrong on Jack's jacket, you know, we'll hear about it. But other than that, it looked it looked fabulous to me. So yeah, all we can do is sort of fan ourselves and and appreciate a uh, yeah a sharp dressed man in uniform. You guys can let us know if they fucked something up. We get you. Know, we get our panties in a twist over like misplaced seam treatments on a gown, but you know, men in uniform, hey, it's men in uniform, hey, hey. We, we can't think anymore, we're too busy ovulating. Basically. <laughs> All right, and then there's a final scene, but uh, everyone's wearing the same thing, um, and this is the whole Claire making uh, Jamie promise uh, not to kill Jack Randall for a year so that Frank's ancestor can be born and see before my conversation about you don't think uh, changing, you know, the fate of Scotland is going to have any effect. She's clearly never seen the butterfly effect, that terrible right. movie that I haven't seen either, but I at least know the reference. Anyway. Yeah, there's all kinds of like time continuity, space time continuum stuff that just is horribly fucked up. But you know what? This is fantasy. So it's not scientifically accurate. <laughs> No, no really good job historically. <laughs> You've just broken all my illusions. God damn it. I thought I was going to wake up tomorrow and, and find out that Culloden never happened. No. All right. Well, I think that that is it. And look for our blog recap with lots of screenshots and pretty pictures at frockflix.com. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Twitter at frockflix. And until next time. Bye.